listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBTQ plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with James and talking about adopting and then being bereaved and also meeting a new partner. Hi James, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, thank you for having me. You're very welcome here. So, um, Take me back to the beginning, if you can, James. So how long ago was it that you were first talking about adoption and how did all of those early bits go? So it's about 10 years since we started the process, uh, my husband and I at the time. It was, as lots of people listening will know, a really complicated, time-consuming, sometimes frustrating process. We managed to get through it quite quickly, though. We were lucky, partly because we did a lot of work hassling social workers and really pushing ourselves. And we got matched quite soon after approval. And so we adopted our son uh, in 2015 now, so about eight years ago. um, And he is now nine and a half. Gosh, that time's flown, hasn't it? Because I've known you pretty much all that time and I can't quite believe it is that long. But yeah, and I went through that same process. So I, I do remember that much much more drawn out process than it is now so so you were one of those nagging adopters were you absolutely good good at nagging for everything very good skill as a parent generally actually but also during (laughs) the adoption process specifically yes we made sure we were getting our name out there everywhere we kept in contact with social workers from the different prep courses we did because we had a at that time it was a consortium of different authorities so we didn't just restrict ourselves to the agency that were approving us. We nagged other people as well. And it seemed to pay off in the end. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I, I was that person too. Um, and so your son came to you. And how was that early phase? So he was 18 months uh, when we adopted. And he had been in foster care since birth. So he had actually had quite a stable start to his life had a lovely foster family which had some birth children in slightly older birth children um so he was he was he is still a very happy little boy um and he's always an absolute joy to have around not just for us but everyone tells us that too so we're very proud parents but of course it was a massive change in our lives as it would be parenting any child and it's just that switch around from being at the time my husband and I were in our 30s and um, we'd been doing a lot of going to the theatre and going out with friends and so on. And of course, a lot of that does have to uh, change when you adopt, of course. But we did think it was really important that we carried on doing some of those things, not going to the theatre every night. Uh, but we made sure <laughs> we got some time out to ourselves as well, because it's really important to have that sort of decompress uh, after a busy, long day of uh, dealing with a toddler. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jackie and I are going to attempt to go to the theatre tomorrow night. Is it tomorrow? Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's next week. Uh, for first time in the evening together and leave the kids home alone. Dun, dun, dun. So <laughs> it's terrifying. We'll see what We're happens. We're a little bit away from uh, home alone for uh, for Charlie, to be honest. But uh, yes, a few years time yet. Yeah, we've got an older one, so we can exploit that one to look after the younger two. So. <laughs> Every time I ask him, he's like, are you going to pay me? I'm like, no, I'm bloody not. You can just help. So <laughs> anyway. And so so I guess those early days, like you say, it's absolutely a shock for, for everybody and it takes some real adjustment. But of course, then you faced um, some tragic news. Yes. Yeah, so my husband at the time who had adopted Charlie with um, died suddenly at the age of 34. And that was only about a year and a half after the adoption. 
And my late husband took adoption leave when we adopted Charlie. So had a 12 months at home with him while I took as much time off work as well as I could to spend as much time at home too. Uh, But then all of a sudden we were faced, the three of us, well, really Charlie and I were faced with the bereavement and really a massive change to our lives ahead. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's unimaginable really. And I'm sure that you've heard every set of words that anyone can say in response, but you know, it is, it is hard to imagine first of all, the changes that adoption brings, followed by something so unforeseeable and so, I guess, you know, when a very elderly grandparent dies, it's something that in the back of our minds we're all expecting, but to face um, a a sudden bereavement like that is immensely destabilising and to be destabilised in that way and have a small child with you who will also be feeling that. How did you move through those early days well the main thing really was getting a lot of support from people um so i partly through the adoption process we'd done a lot of work building our network of other lgbt plus parents around about uh but also of course family and friends i was very i was very fortunate that my parents for example came and lived with me and charlie for about four months afterwards to help out but also had other friends around too Really looking, though, for advice from any way you can get it. Remember that everyone will give you advice and it might not all be great. But the more you get in, the more you can have a look at it in the hole and take which bits you like and which bits really work for you. Um, But, yeah, there were a couple of different things that were facing, I suppose. I had the general bereavement. I just lost my husband and we'd been together for 10 years. Uh, And then, of course, I had Charlie there who had lost his other daddy, as as we called him, and trying to deal with the loss he was coping facing too but beyond that it was really initially just a thought of how am I going to do this how am I going to parent this beautiful little boy on my own how am I going to be able to do work and earn money and pay the mortgage and all that kind of stuff so it was really as you can imagine a a massive shock and a big change and the key was not trying to deal with any of it on my own it was trying to get making sure I did get help from family and friends across the board yeah and I can see that you know, absolutely, the the challenge on the emotional level, of course. And then all of those practical things. And I guess no one has the luxury of saying, well, I'll deal with those later, because I guess those things need dealing with now, now, now as well. And your son would have been just before three years old. Is that about right? Um, He was just over, actually. He was sort of three and a half almost. Uh, But yeah, so he's very young. Uh, And Charlie also has a learning delay. So um, perhaps was less obvious at that stage in his life. Uh, but sometimes more complex things to understand are difficult for him. What was amazing, though, you can never underestimate the power and ability of children to understand and get things. So with Charlie, we might tell him something repeatedly, which he didn't seem to understand, that seemed quite basic, or it took a long time for him to pick some things up. When I told him that um, his other daddy had died, um, he seemed to understand it instantly. It was astonishing to me because he... um, I was expecting to have to tell him this repeatedly. I was expecting lots of, but when's he coming back? When you know, are we going to see him tomorrow? Yes. Is he coming home now? And actually, from the moment that I told him what had happened, he talks. He still talks about his other daddy now and has those memories. But he seemed to immediately understand that actually it was final and that he, you know, he wasn't coming back. There was no. He hadn't just gone away on holiday. He couldn't go and visit him and all those kinds of things that are a risk. And I know for lots of children and indeed adults you know bereavement is really difficult and people have different approaches to it and I know for some people listening perhaps they might have had children 
um, they might have children who've suffered bereavements in the family too, who have not been able to deal with it as well as Charlie seemed to at the time. Yeah, I think the very fact that, you know, you're talking about him having that understanding that it was final it is quite unusual in a child mm. of that age. Mm. And so, yeah, absolutely. I can I can see why you were quite surprised by um, his ability to understand it in that way. And so those early days, I guess, you know, were that world of that support from people and trying to face up to all of those practical issues and so on. And so what do you sort of consider the next stage of your story to be? You know, like how long were you in those early days, whatever you see mm. those early days as, if you know what I mean? And then what was the start of the next stage for you? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, as we've said, it, it was difficult. There was a lot going on. It was very difficult to, I mean, I remember I didn't, I don't think I ate anything for about two days after it happened, not because I was moping or, you know, didn't want to eat. I, there was just so much going on in my head. There was so much adrenaline around what I needed to do in terms of looking after Charlie and all the other commitments that we all have in life um, that I just didn't really feel, I could. I didn't feel I could plan for the future initially. And I don't know, it's difficult to look back now and say how long that lasted for. But certainly the first month or so, there was no real planning. It felt a bit more just like keeping head above the water, trying well there was some planning whether it's successful or not is different um but trying to keep your head above the water and just getting through that first period really maybe in the first month or so and for me this is obviously very specific to my situation um we didn't have a funeral for my husband because we're not religious and he wouldn't have wanted one anyway but we did about two months after he died we had a big celebration we actually hired out a theatre in London and did a sort of four hours of chat some people doing little five minute speeches friends and family lots of posters on the wall of all the things he was interested in and various things and photos and Charlie our son was there sort of quite enjoying himself because there's a big group of people and he loves a party um so we had a couple of months after after the death that we well I particularly was really focused on organizing this large celebration sort of memorial celebration and it kind of it provided natural break for me in a way in terms of the process of grieving because once that was over a couple of months after uh, my husband had died that was really when it hit me most actually because I was very busy organizing that a lot of work went into it and that kind of kept me quite busy which was useful I think initially Uh, but then once that was over and friends had said to me you know you might find things hit you a bit harder once that celebration that memorial is done Uh, and that is what happened because it felt much more final at that point because I'd been so busy sort of making sure memories were preserved and so on and so it probably was a couple of months afterwards that I had a I had a couple of weeks that were probably maybe the worst couple of weeks in the whole period and then I just with the support of friends and family managed to sort of start moving on and again I always knew that um, Charlie is my top priority looking after him especially with him facing the bereavement too Um, and so once we'd got to the stage the celebration was over um really there was no putting off that plan for the future and making sure that um charlie was getting all that he needed yeah and it sounds like that focus was a driving force in some ways Uh, indeed yes um i mean quite a few people did say to me after my husband had died uh people said lots of different things it was a really interesting sort of psychological study almost in there um because some people immediately when I told them immediately asked how I was and were concerned about my welfare other people focused entirely on Charlie and his welfare some people talked about that 
own memories of my late husband. It was very, very different. Lots of people said to me, oh, you know, you have to be strong for Charlie now, which at the time I have to say I found slightly irritating because it was it was a bit like, well, I haven't forgotten that I've got a son, you know, this is, this is what parents <laughs> yeah. do. We have them all the time, whatever's happening. So, you know, I, I will be making sure that he is all right and he is having his you know best opportunity to live a great life, whatever. Um, but, but like I said, people say all sorts of different things, but but Charlie certainly really helped. I mean, also, even at that young age, he was really actually very supportive. You know, when I first told him, he cried for a, f- a few moments. He's not he's not much of a crier, to be fair. He cried for a few moments and then Im- stopped and looked at me and went, are you OK? And was checking oh, wow. in on me to see if he could support me even in a way. I mean, he was only three and a half. So, you know, what exactly the motivations were around there is difficult to say. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, but certainly he's just he's he's really helpful because he's a very cuddly and compassionate and empathetic sort of child. That's very sweet. And I, yeah, I can understand the thing about, you know, you have to be strong now for your child. It's also quite silencing, I think, that because... Mm-hmm. Any sentence that starts with you have to be strong isn't really very encouraging of a whole range of emotions to follow that, you know. So, I yeah, I think, and I, I'm aware, yeah, people do say all sorts of things. And a lot of it's really, really well meant. But absolutely, absolutely. I can understand why something like that would grate a little bit, definitely. <laughs> and so um, I guess then, you know, it sounds like you were getting through the days and the weeks, you mm. know, as best you could with the practical stuff and the emotional things. And that huge change so where did things go to from there so to fill me in on the next part of yours and Charlie's life together yeah well so we I mean I'd been with my late husband as I mentioned for 10 years um, and actually he was the first long-term relationship I'd ever been in so it's not as if I'd had multiple different uh, relationships in the past and I was the sort of person that's always in a relationship although I had been in that one for 10 years of course so to be honest, in the first, well, I mean, it wasn't top of my priority list of things to think about anyway, but in the first couple of months, you know, it never occurred to me that I might meet a new partner, that, that Carlos might get a new dad effectively. It just didn't occur to me. It wasn't something I was looking for, thinking about at all. I just assumed from day one, really, that I would be raising Charlie on my own for good. I'd be a single dad um, for, the, for the rest of my life. Didn't even occur to me. I wasn't thinking I must find a new partner or you know, I must find a new dad for Charlie or anything like that. But a few months, so a few months probably after um, my husband had died, I'd started, I'd, I started going on uh, dating apps, not because I was looking for a new partner, but really just because, of course, you know, as you can imagine, being home alone a lot um, in the evenings, and it was, it was kind of just a way to potentially make new friends, whatever. And so I started sort of chatting to um, some different guys online. I was, I always said very clearly that you know I was a single dad and had a child, and I just started chatting and made some useful friendships. Um, so use, useful sounds the wrong word about friendships. Well, I made some good friendships and some that were also useful in terms of having a bit of extra support, people to chat to, and so on. And then I, one of the people I was chatting to uh, was Liam, who. Um, lived not too close to me but not too far away and we just started chatting and as these things happen uh through uh, an app and we were chatting and we were making each other laugh we were getting on really well we seemed to have a lot of quite similar interests in many ways and so eventually we met up and long story short um we had our wedding last year oh congratulations (laughs) um 
Yeah, I mean, I think it. I think it's really nice that you were able to first of all find friendships, and and then find a partner. Did it? Was were there points at which it felt? I don't really even know what word I'm looking for, but odd in some way to be forming a new relationship. I guess given, you know, lots of people leave a partner and then perhaps forming a new relationship feels very natural or or deserved or whatever it is. And I suppose it might feel differently after somebody's died. How did you feel about taking that step? I think that's a really good question. And I think for me, the way I sort of avoided that question um, was, as I mentioned, that I wasn't looking for, I, I, it wasn't that I wasn't looking for a new relationship as such. It just didn't even occur to me that I might go into another relationship. So when I started, um, you know, started those friendships up on uh, an app, I wasn't really expecting or thinking that this is what I'd be looking for. But it does feel, it's, it's very difficult to, um, to talk about with because it's a super personal experience and everyone is going to be a little bit different. My late husband and I were both quite pragmatic about things. We had been as you know dedicated to each other for those 10 years. Um, and the way I suppose I remember that, and it doesn't sound too sort of facile, honor that memory, is that I made sure um that we me and Charlie particularly at the time were able to talk about um, his other daddy that had died and so on and also we have a really good relationship still with his family so uh, Charlie has well in fact Charlie's quite lucky out of this in some ways other than having of course lost his um, first dad um, because he has three sets of grandparents so uh, we still have we had a, uh, my late husband's parents came to stay with us uh, just a couple of weeks ago they come very regularly um we also have uh liam's parents of course and my parents too so um charlie is really sort of overwhelmed with grandparents which is exactly how he likes it <laughs> but, um i think that's a really nice thing though to have found is that it isn't a case of being required to you know have a real separation between the past and the present or anything like that you know that the past is in the present and mm. i think that's a really nice way of yeah keeping charlie's other dad visible and and real and all of those sorts of things particularly i guess because he was so young at the time that you know his own actual memories must be very very few but to have that as a an ongoing presence i think is is a really nice way of of doing that and acknowledging charlie's entire story as well you know of which mm-hmm. your first husband was you know a pivotal part obviously Charlie I guess wouldn't exist in your life were it not for your um, late husband and so yeah I think it sounds like it's a nice way of doing it and the ongoing connection with the grandparents as well I guess again cements that your late husband you know was one of his daddies one of the parents that he's had and you know I think it seems like you're walking a line that acknowledges everything, I guess. I think that's really important um, with adopted children, particularly, but with, with children and people generally, is that level of honesty and openness. And as you just mentioned, it's about the whole life story. It's not just about what's happening right now, because everything will have an impact and everything feeds into development as a child and how you feel later as an adult too. So, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting in our front room at the moment and we have photos on our mantelpiece of Charlie with my late husband. 
Um, we also have photos, of course, of us, the three of us, um, Liam, Charlie and myself. And as you can imagine, millions of other photos, class photos and all that kind of stuff, too. But the point <laughs> is that my late husband is still visibly around our house. And I think I've, I was very lucky in finding a partner like Liam that who had never considered adopting before, had never thought about being a parent. It hadn't really occurred to him like it often doesn't to a lot of LGBT plus people or didn't yes. a few years ago at least hopefully it does occur to a lot more now so I was really lucky that he from the start was very conscious that Charlie was effectively the most important person here because he's a child that needs caring for and looking after so he was I mean, obviously I was also very conscious of this and I would have made this the case anyway but he was already without me needing to say anything he understood the importance of being a parent of me being a parent and the importance of Charlie's needs. And so we worked on that together. So we started off dating. We dated for maybe a month or so, only actually before um, Liam met Charlie for the first time. They hit stuff like a house on fire, partly because uh, uh, Liam came to our house wearing one of his running tops, which was a Spider-Man running top. And Charlie had oh, well, there you go. <laughs> so there's a lovely photo of the first day they met of, uh, in fact, I can see it on our mantelpiece now of um, Liam with his uh, Spider-Man running top on next to Charlie in his full Spider-Man outfit. And uh, Charlie's face is just absolutely lit up and uh, just loving life. <laughs> it sounds like you really knew that the relationship was a goer from quite early on. Is that fair to say? Um, I think that is true. Yeah. I mean, I, this might be more to do with me than uh, <laughs> than Liam or anyone else. Uh, because certainly <laughs> cause, cause with my first husband, too, we you know dated and moved in together pretty quickly and as mentioned we were together for basically 10 years and adopted together so maybe maybe, maybe it's me I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but um but uh I do get in things pretty quickly uh but yeah it was obvious yeah. um we, we initially started off by you know messaging you know chat messages and we you know been doing this regularly over a few days and in fact we didn't speak actually I don't think until the first time we met which was I don't know maybe about a month after starting to message um so you know so it wasn't it wasn't sort of first day or anything but uh but yes it was obvious to me from the start that Liam was a keeper oh how lovely <laughs> and so not everyone obviously will lose a partner because you know that that is a rare thing that somebody dies at that age and and so on but lots and lots of people will have a bereavement in their family mm. that they have to support and adopt a child through and of course for adopted kids bereavement raises additional issues over and above what it would for other children mm. and I just wonder for families who are facing that are the things that you learned along your journey about how to approach that what what resources you used or just any advice that you'd give to people really who are dealing with bereavement in their family and have got an adopted or fostered child yeah, so I think going back to what I was saying before, it is about your support network. It's a phrase that's often used by social workers during the process, um, but it's it's a really important phrase, I think. Um, you need to have those people around you. You need to be able to have some... It's a bit like we talk about adopted children sometimes or fostered children needing some respite care or you know, people do respite fostering. And um, I think it's true for parents too. You know, you need some time to be able to go, okay, I've spent, you know, seven days solid... 24 hours a day looking after Charlie and making sure, you know, maybe he's been ill for a bit and it's been really important. But now there's a time where 
Charlie doesn't need me to be right here right now for every single second. So now is the time that I need to go and maybe go and see a friend or take some time off to whatever it is, have a bath or go for a run or whatever it is. So it is about doing that. In terms of support and resources you can use, there are loads of great things. I've got lots of good tips from people about books. There are several books that are aimed at um, bereavement for children um, there's one particularly good one which is partly partly about bereavement and partly about sort of behavior generally I suppose called no matter what that we really like uh, the theme of that book is around you know love never dies love goes on like the stars in the sky which is a really nice I think way to look at it particularly for someone like me who isn't actually religious but it still feels like a nice way to think about things um, yes. and also that, that book also covers off the child in the book being uh, angry or frustrated or you know, smashing things up a little bit, which actually Charlie has never done with us, but he definitely appreciates that book and understands because the point of the book is, you know, you might be angry, you might do things that are wrong, you might do things that are naughty even, but we'll still love you no matter what. We'll always love you and you know we'll be making sure that you're taken care of. That's a really nice message. We'll try and find a link to that book and put it in the um, program notes for this for this show. So thank you. Um, so. I guess all of that, you know, that time has passed and you're now um, with your new husband and um, settled and parenting and stuff like that. What's day-to-day life like? You know, what's the sort of, um, well, the stuff that we're all going through, the adoption stuff and the school stuff and the the work stuff and stuff. What's day-to-day life like? So Charlie, our son, is a complete ball of energy. Uh, he's either 100% full on or asleep. They're the only two modes that he has, basically. <laughs> he's also wait- he's waiting for an assessment for ADHD, which is mm-hmm. one of our current challenges because uh, where we live, he's been on the waiting list for that assessment for just over two years already. And we've been wow. told it'll be another year and a half, uh, at least, before he is seen, uh, which of course is insane. So he- it was year two he was in when he- that referral was made. And it's probably not now going to be until year six that he actually gets the refer uh, gets the assessment. So that's always an ongoing struggle in terms of dealing with the bureaucracy around uh, special educational needs. We are lucky that Charlie is a really happy boy, almost always. Uh, very excited about everything, very pleased with everything, loves people, both children and adults. So we're lucky. But that, that is also exhausting <laughs> because he's nonstop. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> as, as I mentioned, except for when he's asleep. So he still sleeps at the age of nine for a good 11 hours a night straight through. Um, and he also still sometimes naps in the daytime on top of that. So <laughs> he, he does he does like his sleep, which is a good skill to have. I mean, he, he could probably tone it down slightly and not be falling asleep at school so much. But um, um, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a good skill to have. So it's, it's full on is, is what I'd say. So Liam and I both work full time. Um, although I largely work from home um, and actually Liam's works, his office is only 10 minutes away from home as well. So we're, we're both around. Obviously, Charlie is usually in, well, he's in school when it's school's on. He's just finished a very fun couple of weeks of Easter holidays, um, but back in school. And because of his interest in everything and excitement about everything, he does such a range of after school clubs and activities. So in any given week, he does um, a drama club, a gymnastics club, an art club karate swimming and football 
So <laughs> he likes wow. to keep himself busy. He likes to keep him busy too, because that's that's what he enjoys. But that is, of course, quite time consuming. Some of those, one or two of them involve having to actually get in the car and go somewhere. Most of them are just around locally and near school. Um, so yeah, so it, it's busy. And then planning the weekends to do lots of fun things that you know, I thought I'd never probably do again when I was in my 20s. Things like laser tag and going temp in bowling and all these sorts of things yeah, that are, are, <laughs> are actually genuinely, genuinely quite fun. I mean, in fact, I'd never been to laser tag until about two years ago. And now I sometimes even <laughs> go on my own. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to comment on that. <laughs> um, yeah, we were in a pedalo at the weekend, which was also fun. Again, the kind of thing that as a couple of adults you can do, but you know, if you've got a kid as a cover story for why you're doing it, it's great. It's like, yeah, we're in a pedalo. This is great. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's fun. So you've you've had in some ways quite an unusual journey, but in some ways a journey that I think will resonate with lots of people because although the circumstances for you were unusual, bereavement is common for lots of families and introducing a new partner is becoming more and more common and lots of people get in touch with us about um, how do you do that with a child? You know, often post um, a split in the relationship and so on. How do you introduce a new, a new partner? And... I wonder if you've got any advice sort of specifically on that. I know you talked about when they first met, but were there ever any teething issues around that that you had to deal with, either on Charlie's part or indeed, you know, on Liam's part, who ended up mm. sort of sliding sideways into parenthood, if you like? I think it's really important. As I've mentioned, when I, when I was on the uh, dating app, I had my profile. I was very clear on that, that I had a child. I was a single dad. And that was obviously obviously important to me because it's important to every parent. Um, so I knew, so I knew, so I made sure I did that from the start. I think it's important to have someone like Liam who realizes the importance of that and acknowledges that, and to take things as slowly as you need to. We were sort of lucky in a way because Charlie was still very young, so it's not it's straight. It was straightforward for us to say, oh. I'm, I've got a new friend, Liam, who's coming to visit us and you'll get to meet him and so on. We didn't have to say straight off, I've got a boyfriend or I've got a new relationship or yes. it could be a new new dad. And because as as we were talking about it, Liam and I you know, hit it off really well and it was obvious it was going to be a long-term thing. So we weren't so worried about, are we introducing too early? But I, but I certainly was conscious of that at the start. I didn't want to say, oh, look, you know, here's... You know, my new boyfriend or partner uh, to then find that, you know, a month later we broke up and I might need to do that conversation again in a few months time. So I think being as sure as you can be that this is a person that you can share not just your life with as a partner, but share your family with and be, not to share your family, but be, for them to become a part of your family um, is is really, really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just interested, I guess, in at what point for you did it move from Liam being someone that you were dating or seeing or falling in love with to being Charlie's dad? Like, at what point did it feel like, at what point did you feel sure enough to to sort of put, you know, move him mentally into that role? It's a good question that I can't give you a really good answer to, because it's difficult to think back about when that sort of change of mindset sort of happened what I can say is that as mentioned Liam and I talked about this right at the start of course it was really important that we were setting out on the right foot and I think and also once we were started to talk about moving in together we then 
had a really good conversation, really important conversation about, and Liam was quite clear, well, if we, if we were going to live together and you know, essentially be a family together, he needed to be co-parenting Charlie, not just to be my partner who happened to live with us, but we were going to be dads together. And that was, and I think that is right. That is the only way it can really work well for the kid, as well as for the relationship and the family. Um, you can't just say, okay, he's your kid. We live together. I'll help out a bit and I'll do this and that. I think it has to be co-parenting. It has to be equal. So we did make sure that um, as soon as we could, that we um, got legal parental responsibility for Liam um, so that he was actually able to do things like sign for school trips and all that kind of stuff to make sure we we're on as even footing as possible. Obviously, I adopted Charlie with my late husband and Liam hasn't gone through that full adoption process and done it in the same way. But actually, because Charlie was so young when this happened, you know, Liam has been parenting Charlie with me now for, what, six years, actually, pretty much, not quite six years, five years. Um, so we were able to make sure that we were one unit, one family, rather than me and Charlie being a unit and then Liam being the add-on. Well, I mean, thank you for being so open with us and such, you know, telling your story so so honestly. I think that for people who are facing bereavements of any kind and also thinking about introducing a new partner, it's going to be really, really useful to hear everything that you've had to say. So thank you ever so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks. I'd like to thank my guest today, James. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you.